The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Thanks for joining us for a yet another program. This, the final one from all the interviews at the NRB. Let's get right to it. A familiar face in segment one. Here at the NRB, and I'm excited about this one, I had my first interview with one of the guests that I've got on right now, Rick Eldridge, years ago. The year was 1986, and I was a guy that was working for WAJL Radio with Al Chubb, and uh, Jim Green and Rick Eldridge come in for an interview on my show, and uh, my first time to meet this great musician turned film director and and producer and that's what you're doing rick welcome back (laughs) it's great to see you again it's good to be here man it's it's so much fun to get to run into you last time i was with you uh you were with pat boone that's right yeah and so uh, that film was the mulligan right and now we're talking about a film that's coming out called never give up right and so tell us a little bit about the folks you have with us well we have the uh, the subject matter by which the story is told which is brad men's uh, Brad is a, a remarkable man who became deaf at age three, and uh, through through that, his uh, his parents decided to allow him to lip read rather than sign, and uh, taught him how to play tennis to help him kind of socialize with people and have something to do besides be in his room, and uh, he became pretty good at it and uh, made it to the University of Toledo as a scholarship player. Uh, his coach introduced him to the Games for the Deaf, which uh, is uh, the, the World Games, uh, gold medal, you know, just like the Olympics. And uh, he met his first deaf person uh, at, the, uh, at the tryouts, really, for the World Games, uh, which was kind of an interesting thing because uh, he's in the middle, you know, between the, the hearing world and the deaf world. He doesn't sign. And uh, and he can't hear, so and he it, was he was to, caught it, in the middle of all that. Is there any hearing at all, or is it completely deaf then? It's uh, I'll let let uh, Brad answer that. Uh, and and I, it's great to have Brad with us here. And then also I have the director. Uh, Rob happened to be in town too for NRB, so uh, you got all three of us. You got the full team here. And that's Rob Loss, uh, right? Rob Loss, yeah. Rob Loss. Okay, get the right name pronounced. Uh, but Brad, yeah. you can answer that question about hearing. Did you hear him? Yeah. Yeah, um, well, I wear two hearing aids, and with the hearing aids, I can hear some sounds, but I still have to read lips and put the sounds and the lips together for a message. If I take my hearing aids out, I'm completely deaf. I can't hear a thing. I'm 100% deaf. But with the hearing aids, I can hear some sounds. You know, I'm just so amazed at the way technology has helped uh, with things like this. So you hear the vibrations, and that does help. But obviously, he said, uh, you, you read lips. So how did that get taught to you? Just by showing up and uh, you know, watching and learning and going to a speech therapist as I was a boy. And um, you know, they, they teach you how to uh, distinguish between different sounds and how to you know, read lips. Um, but it was just a long process. And uh, I, I understand some people better than others, depending on uh, 
uh, the way they move their lips, right. or if they have a mustache or a beard or something like uh, oh, that. Oh, I'm in trouble because I have a goatee here. One yeah. of my, uh, <laughs> my first coaches from Toledo, his name is Jim Davis, and uh, he had a, a mustache that covered his lips. Oh, and, that's and, right. Uh, so I would have to kind of bend down and look up under his mustache and try to figure out what he was trying to say. So the way I learned to play tennis mostly was from imitating and watching what the coach and what the other players were doing. That's something, because I know that there is so much to learn about tennis and thinking about the fact that even having the auditory loss of the sound of the ball hitting the racket, and that's not there. I mean, that uh, it's it's well, got to be different. Yeah, well, I started... Um, you know, as I said before, I grew up in the hearing world, so I played in all hearing tennis tournaments, USTA uh, tournaments, uh, University of Toledo um, tournaments and things like that. But when you, what I learned when I uh, played in my first World Games for the Deaf, I learned that you cannot wear your hearing aids. You have to take your hearing aids out. Oh. And so I didn't practice without my hearing aids. And uh, when I got there, they said, you have to take your hearing aids out. And at, the fir at first, it's tough. It's challenging. Your balance is, you know, um, challenged. And just hearing the, rack the ball come off the racket, yeah. there's a lot of challenges with zero sound. You know, there are so many things that, that uh, affect our balance, like the, just like our ability to respond correctly in life. I find when I take my glasses off, I don't hear as well. <laughs> That's funny. Now I'm, you know, that is, that is, uh, doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but I think you're just doing amazing. And for our listeners, Brad is here again, reading my lips as I'm talking, we're sitting across the table. It's in times like these that I wish we were uh, also a video uh, operation and being able to show what you're doing. It's just amazing to watch you do this. Thank you. Thank you very much. I owe that to my parents, my mother, my upbringing, and uh, all the support, love, and sacrifice they've given me, and the never-give-up mindset. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Toledo, Ohio. Oh, my goodness. All right. Uh, that's not terribly far from where I did. I was from Indiana. So that's great. Well, we also have Rob. Uh, Rob Loss is here with us. He is the director of this film. Uh, what's it like uh, to be on set with these particular circumstances? It was a challenge, I'll tell you, because we, this is the first tennis film since, uh, well, in this, in this century to actually use real equipment and real tennis balls. Like the things you've seen, like Wimbledon and other ones, had CG balls. That's all, that's all orchestrated. It's all choreographed. It's like a dance move, and it's all the balls that. are CG. We're all real with all real equipment. So getting the right actors to play and the you know and the right equipment to work and everything to do was a challenge. It was a, it was a big film. Luckily, we had Brad along. Brad's a tennis professional this, to this day. He's a teaching professional, isn't that and, something? Which yeah. is pretty, which is pretty amazing. Uh, but it's it's really it's it's an amazing film that captures that the real aspects of tennis as well as there's a great family story when he's talking about how his parents help him and it's it's really a, a great it's a testimony to not only just Brad but his family of how they got things done. How did you get into this whole thing of directing? Well, I'm I'm a writer director, so oftentimes I'll. Um, the writer, director, writer, produce what I've done. So I've been, when I was seven years old, uh, you know, I pointed to the television set and said, that's what I want to do when I grow up. And 
So my mom bought me a director's chair, and I've been sort of doing parts of it ever since. Isn't that something? Yeah. So that was in Ohio. So I'm also from Ohio. I'm so from, there was a lot of imitation going on in your yeah. life as well. You learned by imitating them. I learned to, to make it work. So, yeah, I'm Akron Canton, Ohio. He's Toledo. So we, we, you're Indiana. We cover it all. That's right. We're in the Midwest. Rick's, Rick's the wife's from, from Columbus, so we've got it all happening. <laughs> right. Let's go back to Rick for a moment. This is a Rick Eldridge production. And, Rick, I know that uh, I was here, I guess, a, a couple of years ago, it was, that you received an award for the uh, movie that came came out right. uh, uh, that was before the the mulligan right and that was such a great thing for me to watch well, i was in you. the i was in the audience and here you are getting <laughs> a, a, awarded how many films like this does uh, never give up make for you 31 31 this is 31 uh, i've done about 60 animated titles across multiple series uh, but as far as features dramatic features uh Quite a few. So uh, I, hopefully I got it right this time. Yeah, we talked about this the last time. Uh, you've done it. You've done great. Uh, my wife and I said, and what, what was the name of that film? The one where uh, the... When young, We Last Spoke. When We Last film? Spoke. The young lady yeah. that was in radio. That was the, yeah, uh, Cloris Leachman. It was her last film. Oh, yes. And, uh, and then uh, Melissa Gilbert, who was phenomenal, and uh, Corbin Burnson. Uh, then we had two young little girls that are both very... Uh, Famous now in streaming series on Netflix. So it's a great cast and a fun coming-of-age story and uh, period piece. Uh, and, and we had a lot of fun with that. What I love yeah. about your movies, and the same thing with The Mulligan, there's this, uh, at the end of the movie, there's this like feel-good feel that you yeah. don't get from most movies today. I yeah. don't care whether they're Christian films or not. Most films, you kind of get to the end of it, at least for me, and, yeah. and sometimes there's a darkness in, in movies, yeah. but yours, at, at every one we've watched, it was like that was the sweetest thing. I, well, I think people you. need to be doing that. Well, you know, and, and I, I go back to, to, you know, of course, I've had a lot of films that have inspired me over the years, but I'll never f- forget as a, as a high school student uh, with my girlfriend, you know, going to see Rocky. You know, and I literally came out of Rocky punching the air. I was just, yeah, I was just, you know, I was, I was just punching the air. You know, it was just, you felt such a high coming off of that. Yeah, it's awesome. And, um, but I want to tell stories that inspire, that encourage, that, that uh, give you the, the, uh, the, the sense of, of entertainment and all of that. But at the same time, that have redemptive value, that give you something to live for and really believe in and believe in yourself. So what greater thing than never give up? I mean, never give up is a perfect story. Now, that. when you would have started filmmaking, film producing like you do, uh, things weren't like they are right now with regards to Christian films. That's right. uh, it, it, they're much bigger today with Pure Flicks and some of these, uh, the Kendrick brothers and thinking right. about some of the films like that. But you were like a pioneer in this whole area. Uh, how, did, how was it back then when you first did your first film? Well, it's in many ways, it's gotten easier because of the technology that we have today. Uh, my first films were shot on 35 millimeter film. Uh, we had, uh, you know, you, you had a lot of processing that had to happen. You had to, to send your, your stuff to a lab and then get it back the next day and hope it looks good and comes off the way it should so you don't have to reshoot something. Uh, there was a, a lot more technical things we had to do just to make sure we got what we got mm-hmm. that was more expensive and uh and there were a lot of things that that uh you know that we did during those days that we have a lot of ability to like today we can watch it and then 
uh, you know, we can see the film shot in a particular scene and then immediately roll it back and look at it. So tell something you work, can't do with work. film. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So uh, the technology is is your friend in a lot of ways, uh, but I think for for us, we've tried to maintain a very high level of quality in that. Use that technology to to better what we do. And, uh, you know, it, it, it is great to have been doing it as long as I've been doing it. That's why I have all these gray hairs, but, uh, <laughs> it's, and I've earned every one of them, but, uh, it, it's been exciting to also see, uh, a lot of, of other great storytellers that have come along to, uh, to inspire and uplift and even to be in mentor to some of those as they've begun to do that, uh, makes me a real cheerleader for their work and to see, God use them and bless them in so many ways. It's exciting. Well, I'm, one other thing about you, Rick, before we go back over to Brad, uh, I, I know that uh, you were for years, you're a big time musician. And we talked about that the last time you yeah. were with me. And uh, I, I was at the uh, Sinclair or something like That's that. That's right. Yeah. Uh, that you learned to play it was a the, the modern keyboard that was made yeah. kind of a, with film production in mind, right? Yeah, the Sinclair was the very first digital recording uh, keyboard and 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 direct a disc technology, and uh, it was uh, an amazing, you know, two six foot towers worth of drives and opticals and everything else with a keyboard that kind of, uh, you know, would, would sample sounds and, you know, all the things that we can do on our phone or our computer. Uh, we spent a million dollars to buy a Sinclair to do. Uh, but that was kind of my entree to film, quite honestly. I, I was uh, uh, contracted to Universal Studios and ran post-production at the studio here. And, uh, you know, while I was there, you know, the Sinclair was kind of the hub of everything. Everything yeah. was done in a digital. This was the transition from that 35 millimeter film to a digital technology. Uh, but I tell people, you know, I, I've all of my life I've told stories. I uh, used to call them songs and they were three minutes long. Now we call them movies and sometimes they're about two hours long. But uh, it's still all about telling stories. That is really wonderfully said. I love that. A three-minute story that is a song. That is just great. Let's turn back over to Brad for a moment. Brad, tell us a little bit uh, what it was like for you to be on the set, to being right there watching these tennis players uh, kind of uh, act out what you did in real life. It was, uh, it was one of the best experiences of my life, being on the set and seeing how a movie is made and uh, watching Rob um, direct everybody. They all had earpieces in their ear, and I didn't even know it. And I'm <laughs> sometimes talking to some of the people on the set, and uh, they're kind of looking away like they're listening to somebody else. And I finally realized everybody's got earpieces in. Right. And uh, so they're all talking to each other. And so I had Gosh. to kind of set, you know, stay out of the way. Cause it just seems like everybody on the set was all working together uh, to accomplish, you know, a great goal. But, yeah, it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. And I had no idea of how much is involved in making a movie. It's just so much um, talent there's so many different things that it was it was a, it was a thrill now let's go back over to rob for this question rob this uh the the setup of this is the 1985 world games for the deaf right correct so the story development uh, as it goes on what was that like to be directing people in something that happened you know basically what almost 40 years ago now it was a challenge, and I think that it was lucky because I wrote it and directed it, so it, you could, I could really have a sense of the story and how to make it work. So the challenge was, 
We'd show Brad at age three, at age five, at age seven, in high school and in college. Count them. That's five different Brads. So it's five different actors <laughs> That's playing right. Brad. So Rick and I and, and, and Brad spent a long time trying to cast and get the right people in the right roles to look the right way. We found Harrison Stone plays Brad age 20, which is basically when he goes to college, when he tries out for the Olympics, when he, and then the, the six-hour match. Mm. And he plays against the reigning world champion who, who looks – Looks like Djokovic, but actually is uh, is a really nice guy who lives in Orlando. But uh, we uh, we pulled it together and really wanted to tell the story so that it wasn't just a sports film, but it was a family film, so yeah. that you'd really pull it out so that everybody can get something for it, whether you know tennis or not. I happen to know tennis and play competitively, and that was the most tricky part, you know, in editing, was to try to tell, try to explain, and and continually stay on game. Like, no, it can't be forty love on that side of the court. <laughs> if you're playing that side of the court, it's got to be yeah. it's got to be forty thirty or it's got to be all the tennis players would know that yeah, all the tennis yeah. players would pick it out yeah. and you know and then we got Stan Smith involved you know, Stan uh, you know obviously he's president of the tennis hall of fame he's a hall of famer himself he's won in Wimbledon and U.S. Open and and we put him in a color context you know in the context of him you know, sort of helping us with the tennis story and he's a he's a wonderful. You know, wonderful guy as well, and and it just it's lovely. It was it was a lovely, it was a really fast and lovely experience to do, but it was really it's a I think it's a really interesting tennis film. There's not too many films about tennis. Well, there's so not we too many chance. sports that are mentioned in the Bible, right? I mean, the Bible says that that uh, Joseph served in Pharaoh's court. So there you go. Boom! Boom. Oh man, Mike, that's <laughs> I, I got to use that one. That's you. You hit. You hit. All right, that's great. I love that. <laughs> that's it. Tennis in the Bible, my friends. That's right. Well, again, this is all about the life of Brad Mins, doing the impossible in the men's single, the tennis gold medal finals of the 1985 World Games for the deaf. That very same year was the year that my wife and our two kids at the time. Made the move from Indiana down to Florida. So that year is very special. When we watch this one, it's going to be very special. Because I'm sure you kind of went back and you created 1985 again on the we film, did. right? Huey Lewis even let us use Power of Love, which is a big song. There in the it year. is. So it's in, it's in the opening credits right there. So you oh get to my see gosh. You'll be pulled back to 85 right away. Well, oh, my goodness. Rob Loss and also Brad Minns, who is the subject matter, and Rick Eldridge, the producer. Thank you guys for being here with me today. This is such a, a treat. And again, uh, Rick, let's go back to you for this final question. Uh, tell us about the uh, distribution of the film. How can people watch it? The film will be in theaters uh, September the 1st. September uh, Labor the Day 1st. weekend. And uh, you can, uh, anywhere that, uh, that, that you are, you can go to our website, uh, maybe find the theaters near you. They'll all be listed there. Uh, website is just easy. Nevergiveupfilm.com. Nevergiveupfilm.com. So go there. Keep up with us. Uh, look at the trailer. I think you'll like it. And then share it with others. Help us get the word out. This is awesome. I appreciate you guys being with me here. And we'll be back in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike, and you're on The Shepherd. Pastors and financial leaders, do you need expert accounting or tax help? Do you have payroll or 1099 questions? Do you need a ministry expert to help you acquire real estate for your next project? If the answer is yes, yes, and yes, visit PetraWorldwide.org. Petra Worldwide has been strengthening ministries to transform humanity since 2007. Visit PetraWorldwide.org or call 855-481-9095. 
Palm Beach Atlantic University Orlando offers three distinct areas of study. An evening Master's of Science in Clinical Mental Health Counseling, an evening Bachelor's of Science in Human Services, and our new Daytime Bachelor's of Science in Nursing. All of our courses are offered at our beautiful campus on Millennia Boulevard. For more information or to schedule a tour, call 844-PBA-ORLANDO. That's 844-PBA-ORLANDO. With me right now at the NRB, somebody that I've had on a number of times. Alex, I can't believe you're here. Alex McFarland, welcome to my program. Oh, thank you, Mike. It's always a privilege. And I just want to say thank you for what you're doing for our country, for spreading the gospel. Thank you. I have just immeasurable respect for your commitment to God's Word and your life of giving it out Mm. to millions of listeners. Well, thank you. What a joy for me. I've spent 36 years, as you know, in ministry, and I get to come back four years ago and work for this incredible network, and then I get to meet people like you. Indeed. It's a blessing, isn't it? You know, uh, NRB, folks, if you hear some kind of background noise, we're at this conference, Mike and I. Um, Recently, Charles Stanley went to be with the Lord. Yes, he did. And I met him many times, and I'm sure you did as well. Uh, There's a big poster. It's really large, and it says, His calling remains our calling you know, really honoring the homegoing of Dr. Stanley. But that that's what every one of us as a believer has to stay committed to, mm-hmm. that we have the, the calling, as uh, many have said, to know him and make him known. That's a beautiful thing, to know him and make him known. I think I've mentioned this on the air before, that that was the theme, almost the byline of our church when it was uh, first founded, uh, the church that I'm a part of in Orlando was planted in 1985. Mm-hmm. The year f- I accepted Christ. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that year, uh, Danny Jones, uh, f- who was the leader of our church, the founding pastor, taught a series on making of knowing Christ and making him known. That was our goal as a brand new church. And th- those two things are, are not... Uh, well, they're not necessarily uh, connected together. A lot of people think, well, you know him, but, you know, they never open their mouths to make him known. Yeah. And so they can be mutually exclusive almost when they should be intertwined. You know, Mike, um, I'm probably the last guy you ever think would go into the ministry. I was very shy, very introverted. And um, it's a funny story, but when I was in <laughs> high school, my senior year of high school, I went to summer school rather than get up and give a speech in an English class. I was in this English class that had, you know, only three grades the whole year. And my teacher, uh, and I didn't know, I I went into this class because I kind of had a crush on the teacher. Uh, She did not reciprocate, oddly enough. (laughs) Thankfully, yeah. Uh, yeah. (laughs) But uh, she said, Alex, and this was like two weeks before graduation. She goes, everybody has given a speech but you. And you've got to write a 15-page speech and get up and deliver it. And I said, uh, Miss Catterman, I don't want to give a speech. I don't want anybody to look at me. She goes, well, you have to do it. It's 30% of your grade. And I said, well, I don't care. Uh, she goes, well, if you don't um, you know, do this speech, you're not going to pass English. I said, well, I don't care. She goes, well, if you don't pass English, you don't graduate. I was like, uh, I care. <laughs> uh, you know, so. Uh, yeah, it may, it but, meant something then. But I said, please, please, I'll do anything. She goes, no, this is the GT English class, college prep. You have to do it. 
Mike, I went to summer school. Now, they let me walk the stage because my mom and dad would have killed me. I walk. I did not get my diploma, d- diploma until the end of the summer. I went to six weeks of summer school rather than get up and give a speech. And, and when I went to my 25th high school graduation, um, and around Greensboro, North Carolina, a lot of what we've done, we've been in the paper a lot, and we rent the Coliseum and do youth rallies. And people came up to me at my graduation. They were like, who are you and what have you done with Alex McFarlane? Because you're not the same guy. Yeah, I'm not the same guy. And I said, uh, actually, that is true. I am not the same guy. Uh, at 21, I found Christ and began to talk to all my friends about Jesus. But here, here's the thing. Every Christian has a role to play in Christ's Great Commission. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So listen, this was the Kodak moment that really did change the trajectory of my life several things, but I want to throw this out to your listeners. I'd been a believer about a month, very introverted, very shy, didn't talk to anybody, never dreamed I was going to be in ministry. I was part of a farming family, and you know, I was going to college, but I just wanted to help my daddy run the, the farm. But I'm going into church on a Sunday night, and there was an old retired Baptist minister, Buford Smith, great southern name. He's in heaven now, and very tall guy, and I'm coming in, and he looked at me, and he pointed this bony finger. He said, young man, will there be anybody in heaven because of you? Oh, wow. And I stumbled, and I stammered. I said, uh, 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 anybody in heaven, it's because of Jesus. And he said, good answer. Yeah. He said, young man. Took the pressure right off. Do something with your life yeah. so somebody would be in heaven because of you. Mm. Now, Mike, that's 30 years ago plus. That that changed the trajectory of my priorities. Yeah. And I prayed, and I was like, Lord, I don't know how this will work, but I want to be responsible for somebody coming to salvation. And Mike, maybe somebody listening, even now, you're, you're a believer, you're born again, and that's wonderful. But Buford Smith, I throw before you the challenge that he said in front of me, yeah. Do something with your life so that somebody would be in heaven because of you. You know, it's interesting. That story reminds me a lot of what happened when we, my wife and I, were called to go to Florida. And for us to make that commitment, leave all of our family, go to an unknown area 850 miles away. But I felt God calling us to do that. Uh, But to do it was with great cost great risk and great courage and faith needed to do that kind of a thing, including telling my mom that we're leaving. I mean, you know, we were married, Cindy and I were taking our two grandkids, taking her two grandkids away from them. That was, that was tough. Oh yes. And what gave me the ability was one day I was out mowing the grass and I felt this question from God. He said to me, when you if when you hit 60 now this was i was 31 at the time 30 almost 32 when you hit 60 if you don't do this what are your thoughts when you look back on your life what will it be i felt the lord ask me that question will i at age 60 feel that i was i was in where the place where god called me to go and i knew that if i didn't make that move 
that was going to be for the purpose of God and for the purpose of the church, I would not be able to say yes to that. And that was the courage giver, if you will, that made us make that move. Amen. Well, you, you know, I really think everybody, every believer has some of these decision points. Yeah. You know, in the Old Testament, there's the story of Israel at a place called Kadesh Barnea. Yeah. And it's either, all right, trust God and cross this river and possess the Holy Land or wander in the desert 40 years. And, um, do you know, I was not long in the ministry uh, and I was going to seminary and By the way, I was driving a delivery truck for my dad, and along my delivery route, um, I was sharing the gospel with people, awkward, stumbling, stammering, but Mike, over and over on my delivery route, people would ask me to pray for them, and they they had no idea I was a Christian. I'm just some guy that's driving a delivery van, um, which I did for eight years for my dad, but people would say... um, if you were a pastor, I would want to come to your church, or have you ever thought about being in the ministry? And I'm, I'm being very brief, but wow. here's what I learned. So I got married, enrolled at Liberty University, and the seminary and the grad school did both, and I became um, an interim pastor at a little church in Virginia. And you, I was youth pastor, pastor, the whole thing, tiny little church. So I was in the ER uh, with a person that was dying, a saint of God. And here's what I noticed very quickly. When you're in the, um, shall we say, the final moments of the fourth quarter, all you're going to care about are two things, mm-hmm. God and family. That's right. Um, I, as a preacher, and I'm sure you know as well, I've been to a lot of hospitals, yeah. a lot of um, bereaved families, and I'm telling you, folks, I'm going to save you a lot of time I've never been at the bedside of a dying person who said, oh, I should have had a better car. <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> only if I had spent more hours at the office. All that you're going to care about when you leave this world, what did I do for my Lord? What did I do for my loved ones? And perhaps, wow, What a great reminder that is. Yeah, and I'm sure any minister listening would concur. So maybe, and I think repeatedly we have to check our priority list and make sure uh, Matthew six thirty three says, "Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you." And let's remember that as a born again believer, we we can do things that count for eternity. We can share the gospel. Yes. Now, First Corinthians three six through eight, Paul says this: One sows, another waters, but God gives the increase. And it's been our privilege. We, we've seen um, lots of people pray to accept Christ. But maybe you just nudge somebody or you sow a seed or, and you don't, you don't see them accept Jesus and get born again, but you're the one that nudged them a little mm-hmm. closer to that decision. It's all good. It's all for God's glory. And every day I, I really think is an adventure to be Christ's representative. I really do. I do too. You know, we never know when we give the word of God out in any form at all. That's like that seed that is going out and it never returns void. It, God does things with it that we can't see and wouldn't know what to do with if we did see it. You, you know, we've got a supporter of our ministry, uh, a, a dear brother I graduated high school with, 
um, and he's a very successful contractor. So 20 years ago, uh, we were out on the road, my wife and I and some staff, and we saw him at a restaurant, at a pizza restaurant. And um, he was in front of a lot of people. And so he said, Alex McFarland, what are you doing? I said, well, we actually, um, I run a youth ministry. And um, he said, uh, uh, really? And let me give a little strategy about witnessing here in a minute. But he was in front of a lot of his peers. And I made the mistake of, um, I was like, I said, well, are you saved? Do you know the Lord? And and he was, he, he kind of didn't answer really. He says, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not really religious, but. And I said, well, I um, do biblical apologetics, which is like the evidence for the Bible. Um, here's the thing, folks. People are not generally in front of their staff or whatever. That's not the time to corner them. You mm-hmm. know? So I've learned that you can sow a seed, but if you really want to lay the cards on the table, um, it, it, it needs to be probably a private conversation. But at any rate, in spite of my less than articulate presentation of the gospel uh about a year goes by and i saw it was a 919 so it's north carolina i was on the road somewhere i think it was in colorado actually and uh anyway it was this brother he said alex do you remember you saw us in a restaurant and i said yeah he said i kind of shot you down and I said, yeah. And I said, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, like, put you on the spot in front of, you know, some of your employees and all. But I hadn't seen you since high school. And I, he goes, well, listen, he said, I need to thank you. And I said, really? I didn't do a great job sharing the gospel. He said, I went around for weeks, and I thought about that. Mm-hmm. He said, I thought about, you know, Alex is really sincere, and I really do need to address the God issue and he said, long story short, it took a, a couple of months, but I, my wife and I went to a church, just a random church, heard the gospel, we've accepted Christ, we're growing in the Lord. And he said, I just want to thank you for being obedient. He said, you, you might have thought you failed, but you didn't. Mm-hmm. All right, today, and this has been a few years ago, this guy is the most dynamic Christian He supports ministries with his business. This guy has led dozens and dozens of people to Christ. Every time I bump into him, he says, I remember that night in that restaurant. And here's the thing, Mike. Even when we don't think we do a good job, you mentioned Isaiah 55, that God's word does not return void. Um, The the Lord will use us in spite of ourselves. And you don't have to be articulate or you don't have to be Billy Graham. Just you know, smile, share the word as the Holy Spirit prompts you and leads you. And and you just might change somebody's eternity. We just don't know. And I think that's part of the obedience to the Lord is going out and taking the Lord at his word, because that's what he does. He gives us his word. He gives us promises. I, I just don't know why it is so often. We forget those promises. We forget the Lord asked us to do this. In fact, he didn't just ask us. He's told us that we'd be doing this. It's, he really did. Yeah, it's there. So we should be doing that. And it is something that is so critical. I know you do this all over all the time. And I, I, I would, I've got a couple of minutes before our break that's coming up. I'd like to know, what do you do when you're in one of those intense seasons of 
traveling to this city and this college and speaking to this group because I know this is not an easy culture to be bringing the gospel to a college campus, but you do it all the time. How do you keep yourselves energi- yourself energized? Well, um, I have learned in my 50s that God gave us this wonderful gift called a good night's sleep. <laughs> See, I was not aware of this. Did you know, Mike, this is amazing. Some people actually get seven or eight hours of sleep. I was unaware you could do this. You can do that, and it helps. It does help. In recent <laughs> years, um, and being married to a nurse for 33 years, my wife Angie is a nurse, um, and she is like, okay, lights out, enough on the computer. You can finish that book later. You're going to bed. You know, so we... Um, I will say this. Here's something that has revolutionized my life is 1 Corinthians 6, that Paul says, we are not our own. We're bought with a price. Right. Therefore, right. glorify God in your mortal body. Stewardship. Yeah. Um, time, talent, treasure, testimony. That's not original with me. But look, we all have 168 hours in the week. We have our abilities, which I think our, our strengths and our, our skills align with what God's purpose for our life is. And then we, we all have some finances, and, and God owns them, and then we have our influence. So let's just call it time, talent, treasure, testimony. These are all areas of stewardship, and, and we're not our own. And so to, to stay prepared and stay enthused and stay, you know, mobile and get it done— uh, I really, my wife and I, I, I think she would agree, it really did revolutionize our life that we are stewards, not owners. Hmm. Well said. Alex McFarland, he is a speaker. He is an apologist. Uh, Fox News considers him one of the people that needs to speak. I've heard you on lots of different news services. He's traveling around. He's getting it done on the college campus for the Lord. We'll be back with Alex in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike, and you're on The Shepherd. EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat serves all your comfort needs. With over 40 years' experience, EC Waters is a top-trained comfort specialist, earning customers for life with integrity. No wonder EC Waters Air Conditioning and Heat has earned a 4.6 or higher out of 5 rating and reviews across all major online platforms. For all your comfort needs, call 407-603-9144 or visit ecwaters.com. Back again now with Alex McFarland. Alex is a speaker. He is a really, uh, I like evangelist. When I think of Alex, I think of somebody that is an apologist. And we're living in a day where we need not only people who are speaking the word the way you do and kind of taking it to college campuses. I, I know a lot of people wouldn't want to be uh, tasked with that, that, uh, that job. You've accepted it, and I appreciate it. But more than that, I get it that every time I'm around you, I feel that you're an equipping evangelist. You're one who teaches others the importance, just like you were saying in the first segment about the fact that we've got to be willing to speak it out. We've got to be willing to take it to the to the people you know it's been my privilege uh mike and i I really give god the glory to be in 2200 american churches over the last 30 years and over 200 college campuses where we've done outreach events um 
so I love to come to churches, and I'll do kind of a, a biblical worldview weekend. And, you know, some of the big questions about, you know, how do we know God exists? How do we know that the Bible is true? How do we know that Jesus literally rose from the dead and is the one and only Savior? And then um, more recently, there have been a lot of less evidential questions and more emotional questions like, you know, if, if God is real, why is there so much evil in the world? And if God loves me, you know, why is my life so painful? And so what we do, we try to, it's, it's kind of a mix of evangelism and equipping to persuade the lost, but equip the saved. So yes, we do, um, organize lots of conferences around the country but I, I do love to come to churches and do do our best if i could get my website it's yeah, uh, alexmcfarland.com uh we do summer camps uh, at the end of this month we start the first of seven summer camps summer of 2023 we'll have 1250 teens and um i, I kind of say this mike we're trying to woke proof america's teens that's a great way to say that. And if you could find a way to woke-proof our universities, oh, well, that would also be a good thing. It will take the Lord to do that, too. Uh, but yeah. yes, uh, we really are. Look, I love America, and I love the Lord, and I'm confident in Christ. I will say we are at a unique juncture. And if we really don't have a move of the Lord and the 345,000 churches in America, that's a lot of churches. Um, every week, uh, Barna says uh, somewhere to 90 to 100 million people go to 345,000 churches every week. Mm. I mean, honestly, if we got, as, as we say down south, if we got on fire for Jesus, I really believe it would change this country in, in a heartbeat. Um, yeah. let, let me talk about the opportunity before us. I had the privilege uh, when I was at grad school, I took an evangelism course under a man named Bill Bright. <laughs> do you, do you, does that name ring Oh, yeah. Campus Crusade Campus for Christ. Crusade. His son Crew. Brad is a, a dear friend, and, and Brad said um, that was probably the last college class he ever taught, but Bill Bright taught my personal evangelism class, and I, I knew I was very honored to be in that class. Bill Bright said, look, if every person that's a born-again believer— would lead a soul to Christ in the next 12 months. And then they train that person, and that person leads a soul to Christ in the next 12 months. Mm -hmm. We would run out of people in well under eight years. Wow. Now, I remember hearing him tell that about the power of multiplication. Yeah. And and one day I was leaving class that was kind of a skeptical guy, and he goes, that would never happen. The whole wide world could not be brought under one message ever. I mean, well, let me take you back to February of 2020. And again, my wife is a nurse, right. and so I keep up with a lot of medicine and things going on. And we had a conference February of 2020, and we got the word that uh, the, the venue we had rented was probably going to close because of this juggernaut coming called COVID. All right, here's my point. February of 2020, most people had never heard the word pandemic or quarantine or COVID. That's right. A month by, away yet. By March, I was watching television in mid-March, and it showed Zambia, where I had recently been. 
and people in the bush country of Zambia were wearing masks. Now here's my point. In about four to six weeks, the whole wide world was brought under an ideology and a behavior because all the oars were being rowed in the same direction. You had government, you had educators, you had media. Isn't it something that honestly the whole wide world in a matter of weeks Mm. could hear the gospel if we spoke with a unified voice? And why can't we? Why don't we? Um, as, as a body of believers, we really should have one thing we live for, and that's what Habakkuk wrote, that the knowledge of the Lord cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Mm. You know, so it sounds like there would be, from your perspective now, a lot of hope yet for this country. All we would need to do is uh, not bow the knee to the hopelessness of the word from the progressive left, but really just seek the Lord. But you're right. It, it was like an overnight thing. I mean, it was only going to be two weeks to flatten the curve. And, and it was a lot longer than that. But in a short order, you're right, all the world was changed. Amen. And that could happen again with the gospel. Well, yeah, I think one of the great power sources that we sort of don't harness is the power of unity. And I know, look, um, hey, I've, I give God the glory. I've spoken in more than 2,000 churches. And I, I kind of jokingly say I've spoken in churches where they sleep in the pews. I've spoken where they jump over the pews. It's all good. <laughs> you know, one of my heroes in the 19th century, D.L. Moody, said, any friend of Jesus is a friend of mine. Mm. Brothers and sisters, we got to work together. Okay, 1 John 5, 1. 1 John 5, 1 says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Mm. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Yeah. And it goes on in 1 John 5, and it says, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you are born of God. And whatsoever is begotten of God loves the brethren. Now, here's my point. And I was ordained in the Baptist church. I've been... Methodist Presbyterian Assembly of God. Twice I've done biblical worldview in Catholic churches. And I know Protestants and Catholics, there are differences. Greek Orthodox, um, the conferences we do, the big events where we'll rent a venue and we'll book Josh McDowell, Lee Strobel, James Dobson. We've done 49 of those kind of events. We have Eastern Orthodox. We have every flavor of Protestantism. We have lots of born-again Roman Catholic priest and laity that come to our events. And then we've even had a fair amount of Jewish people that are not believers in Messiah yet, but they'll come because we care about morals. Here's my point. Um, Those of us that believe in the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we believe in the Bible. We believe that Jesus is deity, the virgin-born, sinless Son of God. Look, we're family. We need each other. We do. We and, and I just would urge people that we would try to live up to what Jesus prayed in John 17, 21. Father, that they all may be one, yeah. that the world may believe thou hast sent me. 
the power of unity. May we come back to that. Alex McFarland, thank you for dropping by today on my program. It's a great honor. And being here with you. I always enjoy talking to you. We'll have to catch up again not too far from now, okay? Thank you, Mike. God bless you. All right. And that wraps up all of our interviews that we were able to get down at the NRB. I've so enjoyed doing that. Really look forward to next February. We'll be in Nashville. Well, with us here with a word on the news media, here is Reverend Al Moeller from The Briefing. Something big is happening in big media, and one of the big things happening in big media is that big media is not as big as it used to be. Huge story here, and Christians need to watch huge changes on the media landscape because this has a great deal to do with the direction of our culture, how to understand the culture, how to know what people are talking about in this culture. News is more than a commodity. It is more than entertainment. It is more than programming. It is a part of the national discourse and how issues are framed in the media, and that means also in news reports. It has a great deal to do with how these issues are understood by Americans, or regardless of the country you live in, the media has a similar influence just about everywhere. But here in the United States, huge headlines of late. For instance, yesterday's edition of the New York Times included the headline, Hundreds of Gannett Journalists Walk Out the Very Same Day. The Wall Street Journal, a front-page business headline, CNN's CEO apologizes to staff in wake of article. Everywhere you look, there are huge stories about media, the future of media, what does all of this mean? Well, let's just step back for a moment and kind of remind ourselves of what we're talking about. What we're talking about is the fact that human beings are communicating beings. We communicate and we are also social beings who want to know what's going on in the world around us. Now, for much of human history, that was simply mouth to mouth, or you might say stone tablet to stone tablet. It is only in fairly modern times that something like the modern media could have emerged. You're looking at basically three huge developments here. Just keep these in mind in historical sequence. Number one, the rise of print media itself. That took the printing press. And so you're basically looking at a development in the early modern age. By the time you get to the end of the 16th century, most people in Europe have at least seen a printed page. But the printed page was not just an innovation. It was an enormous game changer. In that first phase of early print media, the other big change in the game was the fall in the price. Because at least in the beginning, paper was so incredibly expensive, ink was incredibly expensive, the printing presses were rare, time and use on the printing presses were precious, and thus every printed page was a very expensive page. Still, it was less than when pages had to be produced by monks in a monastery with a pen and on skin, But still, the price had to fall, but that's an historical fact. The price did fall. By the time you get to the middle of the modern age, the average person can at least afford something in print. The next big jump in the media came with urbanization and the Industrial Revolution, and that meant mass publishing. And mass publishing pretty quickly became mass publishing. You're talking about massive numbers of people who could print on a 24-hour cycle. Newspapers. Now, newspapers or gazettes, similar forms of news fora, they had appeared at previous times, but the appearance of the newspaper as we know it in terms of fairly inexpensive paper folded, available often on the streets, available on newsstands, available just about anywhere people were, especially trafficking in train stations, later in airports. The newspaper 
newspaper became the ubiquitous representation of the news media. Reverend Al Mohler, and you can always listen to his podcast called The Briefing. It can be delivered to your inbox. Go to albertmohler.com. That's all of our time for today. We'll see you tomorrow right here on The Shepherd. <music> 